0: It's Thursday, September 7th, 2017, and you're listening to episode 457 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 40 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. This is Wayne. This is John. This is George. All right, so John, you guys know is a host of the show... George is one of the former hosts of the now-defunct Trapcast show, also known as Little Sexy. George, that is, not the show. Yes. Yeah, so George is the Little Sexy, if you've heard us reference him in the past. And we're going to talk about Gen Con and some stuff that went on there. But before we get to that, there's an announcement I want to pass along, which is that Fear the Boot has now started putting its actual plays, both the Skies of Glass one, which is audio only, because I can't be
1: videotaped. It's the whole ginger lack of something. Yeah, of thing.
0: it would just—it's like a vampire looking in a mirror. You cast no reflection. And then also the D and D Five E Iron Blood Doors one that John is running, which actually does have a video component to it. So there are cameras running and things like that. So if you're interested in checking either of those out, specifically on YouTube. They are now being published to our YouTube channel, and I will put a link to that in the show notes. And if you want to separate them, if you look within the channel, there are playlists, one for the audio AP and one for the video AP. And I'm eventually going to start getting our regular episodes pushed over there as well, just because I've noticed that while obviously most of our existing audience doesn't consume things this way, there is an audience out there that prefers to consume even audio podcasts off of YouTube for some reason. So whatever that reason is, we are here to take care of you. So check the show notes for a link to YouTube. I guess this is where I'm supposed to say, what is it, like, comment, subscribe.
1: Whatever you do, just go out there and treat it like you're voting.
0: Yeah. Do it often. Yeah, do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Vote like it's the Ennis in 2006.
0: Exactly. Exactly. and often. (laughs) Treat it like it's the ennies. All right, so... Let's talk Gen Con. For anyone who's not aware of Gen Con is the largest of the tabletop gaming conventions in the United States. I believe the only one larger is Essen, which is predominantly a board game convention that occurs in Germany. And Gen Con, unlike Essen, does not focus on board games, though that's certainly there. It focuses also very heavily on tabletop role-playing games and card games like Magic the Gathering. And Gen Con has been a large and growing convention for many years, deriving its name originally from Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is where it was first held, now held in Indianapolis. And this year they did something that they have never done before, which is they sold out of every available ticket that the fire marshal would let them sell every Weekend pass, every one-day pass, every ticket that could get you through the door was sold out. And the hotels, also not just the ones downtown right by the convention, but even the ones out in the suburb that were a pretty good haul, whether by foot or Uber or whatever was the case, back to the convention.
2: Lots of Ubers. Yeah. <laughs> so much Uber. Those, so many Ubers. Those were sold
0: out as well. Now, Brodor and I and Wayne, we were not able to go, but John and Little Sexy did go. So, what I want to hear from you guys step by step is what was Gen Con like this year? And let's start with the size of it. Gen Con last year, I think, was around forty fifty grand. This year, I believe it maxed at about 60 grand. Did you guys notice? A substantial increase in the crowd size, or did it really look about the same at a glance?
2: It definitely feels way bigger than it did 10 years ago when we started going, because it is. I think it's almost double now than what it was in the mid-2000s, but as opposed to just last year, not really. The past couple of years have all felt about the same to me. Part of that is because they've continued to expand their footprint. There's more food trucks than ever before. They have the floor of Lucas Oil in addition to the basement now. Lucas Oil is the stadium where the Indianapolis Colts play. True Dungeon, in fitting with the theme of being a dungeon, is now underneath it in these sort of basement facilities that I didn't know they had but are cavernous. And then they recreated Horticulture Hall, which is where Gen Con was originally Held originally and so far as once it moved out of Gary Gygax's house on the actual floor of the football field. So in a gesture of solidarity with nerds everywhere, we played tabletop RPGs on the turf where the National Football League plays football games. So, haha, we made it to the NFL before you did, Jocks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but they've got, I don't know if they had any more hotel rooms in the block this year or if they just sold out, but I don't recall ever all of the hotel block being gone, out to the airport, out to the northwest suburbs. The downtown rooms have always gone up in smoke, or at least they've gone up in smoke for as long as there's been a lottery system that I've been participating in. They're gone in a couple of hours since they've gone to the random number generator and the seated line. Uh, before they went to that, back when it was just a free-for-all, they went up in minutes. But they're definitely – they were out of badges. They were out of hotel rooms. But it didn't feel – Tight. The con floor itself was crowded, but it's always crowded. You know, they do the running of the nerds at 10 a.m. every morning. I just learned this year because I have a few friends who are exhibitors now that a lot of the vendors will actually hold some of their inventory in reserve, such that they'll tell you they're sold out on Thursday. But if you come out on Friday first thing in the morning when the doors open, they'll put another hundred copies of whatever the book is that everyone wants that year. So that creates a crazy rush every single morning. But I personally did not feel hemmed in. With that said, Gen Con for me is a lot more about hanging out with my friends uh, both near and far and a lot less about doing the big sanctioned official ticketed events or showing up to try to get a spot at some release party for some game that lots of other people seem to care about, but I don't. So I understand there were a few of the bigger ticket events that, Didn't have enough seats for nearly everyone that wanted to go. Some of the new books sold out, some of the new games sold out, and there was some grumbling there. True Dungeon did sell out pretty much instantly. We had two full runs of 10 that uh, our group went on, and we had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, But other than doing a True Dungeon on Friday and Saturday... Uh, I didn't feel and and attempting to get a hotel room downtown, which for the first time in my history of going, we failed to do. I didn't feel crowded in at all, rather any more than usual.
1: So, John, I know I've done True Dungeon, Dan's done it, but people listening may not know what True Dungeon is.
2: Okay, so True Dungeon is essentially a series of escape room style puzzles mixed in with some RPG D and D style combats. It's not LARPing, but you stand up and more or less play your character as you go through these rooms, and I think they're on 10 or 11 minute timers, and everyone has a class, and some people are dwarves and elves, but for the most part it's just human, non-otherwise described classes, and you have little tokens that represent your inventory, and you have spells that you can use, and then the game masters in the room tick off a little mark on your card. (laughs) darn fun. There were two runs this year. One of them had much better production value and was much much more of a spectacle, but my group found was a much less entertaining and well-crafted game. The other one was more simple, no animatronic dragon head, no giant spider hanging out at the end of the room, but we thought the puzzles were much more accessible, the combats were much more varied and interesting, the actors were better, and we had more fun. So we had fun at both of them. They're definitely something that I intend to do next year. I, if I can, I I would like to get in on... Once again, full runs of each of the two tracks that they do. We've pugged this before. Dan probably remembers this. Wayne, I don't know if you were there at this particular Gen Con, but we went in with just a couple of us and then ran with some random people we never met and had the most stereotypical wizard who won't ever use his spells just swings with his stupid quarterstaff to conserve resources until we get all the way to the end and the resources are gone anyway situation. So we like to avoid that. and Much like gaming itself, much like my approach to Gen Con itself, I just think it's a lot more fun when you go with a big group and do things together. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was a good time. They put on a great show. I, I've seen some documentation of all the effort that they put into it, setting it up on like Tuesday and Wednesday before the con, tearing it all down afterwards. Most of their manpower is, is volunteer, and that is sometimes a disaster. I've certainly seen that go wrong in and within, in and around, rather, gaming efforts. But a lot of the people that put that show on did a really great job, especially some of the actors, some of the role players we had on both sides of the track were really into it and really having fun, and they made us have fun, too.
1: So it was interesting. I had on, I want to say it was that Thursday. At work, I have an all-day meeting that day, and there's presentations that each of the leaders are supposed to be giving as part of it. And there were two that were had to be done by someone else, because the original people were out at Gen Con. <laughs> And it's like, that's really cool to me, because I've never been working anywhere where there are that many gamers around that I have gaming conversations. You work in cybersecurity, and you've never worked in an office full of nerds? Nerds, yes. Gamers? No, video gamers, yes. That's yeah. there is. Yeah, oh well, yeah, video gamers are everywhere. There is a distinction
0: between the time card-punching geek and the people like us there is definitely distinction
2: well no we're clearly insane we've been doing the same rpg podcast for 11 years we pivot vacations around these sort of things i went to george's wedding like we we take it to another level granted but, yeah, I actually, a friend of mine from the Capitol went as well. And then there was another group of people who we didn't really know all that well that signed up and went independently of us, and we're gonna pool our resources and try to get spots in the downtown hotels next year. But it was cool hanging out with them because you know, we went to yard house and and they were in on one of our true dungeon runs, and it's just. It's fun to have big old nerds at your at your place of work. We ran into Mikey Mason. We ran into Keith Curtis. A lot of the old guard friends of the boot. We played some Sheriff of Nottingham with Mikey, which I had never played before, and which is incredibly, incredibly entertaining if you're playing it with a professional comedian. Ed Sawyer, another longtime friend of the boot, is a chef in downtown Indy, and I think he had to fight tooth and nail to get some time off on that weekend because I think they said that Gen Con 50 is the largest single tourism event that has ever occurred in the city of indianapolis it's analogous to having four nfl football games in a row day to day back to back to back to back it's almost unheard of and since he's a chef he they wanted him to be all hands but we got to hang out with him quite a bit so it was good it was a little bit of mini booter reunions here and there and that's part of gen con too especially if you've been going for this long you'll just be walking down the con hall walking across the beer garden going to the sushi place across the street and boom get a, there's getting attacked by santa yeah, yeah, yeah! Santa shows up, or your friend Harrison George is just, is just oh, like oh yeah, Harrison, yeah. People you didn't plan on seeing. My He's like a friend who con- ran into being on the floor of the con hall when I was running to get tokens for Gen Con. That was that was fun. It was good to see her. Blood and Moon
3: Goblin artist knew I was the Club Goblin.
2: Yes, oh my god, Oh, Keith is a genius. We went into the RAM for some drinks with Keith Curtis, who did the art for Blood Moon Goblins, and very shortly into the conversation, two of the Blood Moon Goblins, the original PCs in the original game before it was became a module or anything like that, were in our party at the time, George and Miranda. Miranda was the only PC Goblin that was a girl that got an illustration, so he guessed her immediately, but I didn't really give him any credit for that. George, however, he took one look at George and Said, I think you were the dumb one that with the club, weren't you? Or something to that effect. We all just started cracking up because of course that was correct.
0: There's one thing that I noticed about Gen Con this year, even having not attended, that struck me as really unusual, at least as far as let's say the past decade of Gen Cons go, which is usually there's a lot of product hype surrounding Gen Con. That it's when a lot of RPG companies are making their big releases. They're talking a lot about these releases. The players are talking a lot about these releases. And you don't have to go digging around. You don't have to start checking with each publisher to see what's coming out. If you are even peripherally involved in the RPG community, you have a list of titles you know are being released at Gen Con because people are pumped up about them. And this year, I have no doubt that there were many products being released. But in what seemed like a really strange shift of focus, this year, without doing any digging, I was only aware of one. And even the one I was aware of, I was only aware of because of the commentary after the fact on how quickly it sold out. Which was Starfinder. Yeah, that's all I've heard about. The science fiction spinoff of Pathfinder.
2: Yeah, I think there was a, a big kerfuffle about a new edition of... Maybe it was Legend of the Five Rings coming out? One of oh, those yeah, older yeah, games yeah. that you've heard of before. But yeah, from a bird's eye distance, it sounds it like, Was that a George? It was not big on releases. Uh, there was plenty of buzz about Starfinder, but... Pathjammer. Yeah, Pathjammer, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> That's way Fire better. Up giant hamsters. Yeah. yeah we, <laughs> why isn't it called Pathjammer? Uh, probably for probably for very good reasons. Um, <laughs> probably for the same reason Spelljammer shouldn't have been. Well, just shouldn't have been. But anyway, no, you're in. I know many people who like Spelljammer. There's no there's no wrong kind of fun. It's just not for me. Aside from that, mm. yeah, this was more. I think the the sheer spectacle of it being the 50th anniversary was kind of the event in and of itself this time around gen con is very decentralized i sort of explain to people people inevitably when they find that you're this deep into it they start asking you what other sorts of stuff that you do and many of them that have had a brush with this sort of nerd culture seen a story once or twice a year and know what's going on but aren't into it themselves know about san diego comic-con and and they say well is it like san diego comic-con and you say yes kind of Comic-Con is where you go to brush up against the stars. Uh, If being at ground zero of a new Marvel Cinematic Universe release or DC release is important or having the potential to run into Joss Whedon in the hall or wind up being the only dining party in a restaurant with Matt Smith and the rest of the Doctor Who crew, which actually did happen to us the year we went, is what's exciting about a con to you, and it is to many, many people, go to SDCC. Gen Con is not really like that. There aren't any real true A-list celebrities, or at least there aren't any that advertise that they go there. There definitely are some nerd gods. Uh, Patrick Rothfuss was there this year. I think Felicia Day came, or at least used to come. I I have seen her there before. Yeah,
1: the year Um, that I went, it was Will Whedon, and the entire cast of the Guild was there that year. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and I've seen the Penny Arcade guys, Hulick and Jerry Hawkins, on the floor there too, but it's been some time. Anyway, my point is, Gen Con isn't really where you go to buy stuff and see famous people people that's more sdcc gen con is about gaming and people there are more interested in getting games together getting around a table and and rolling some dice than they are in necessarily meeting figures in the industry or getting the next greatest thing i mean they do get the next greatest thing there are a ton of companies that release a ton of fun games at gen con but it's not about waiting 72 hours in line to get into a panel you go you get into the con hall, you smash and grab for the games as fast as you can, and then you turn around and go to a table in a hotel or bar somewhere, and you play them for the next 12 hours. So I I think it was in perfect keeping with the sort of Gen Con ethos that this year there was no big flashing light product release that everybody cared about. Um, We were all pretty much just, just there to hang out with one another. We were on the lookout for... Serendipitous encounters, both with with people and with games. I had never played Sheriff of Nottingham before, which stunned my friends that were actually into board games because apparently that's pretty basic on the list of board game that's more mentally involved than Monopoly. The Sherwood Uh, of Nottingham, Sherwood of Nottingham, as as my dear friend George insists on calling it. But yeah, no big releases, but that was also no problem because people weren't there for big releases. It
0: certainly does change the calculus of attending Gen Con because with Comic Con. You know, going into it, that you have to prepare for it well in advance. You have to be in line to even hope you get a badge. Forget hotel room. To even hope you get a badge, you have to be prepared to strike and then you have to strike twice as fast to get a hotel room anywhere along they color the routes there's like a red route and a blue route and whatever for the buses
1: and then you have to buy camping gear if you want to go to a panel
0: yeah well in whole age will probably kill you anyway so i don't recommend it but that's never how gen con's been until this year making the last minute decision to crash gen con to show up to grab a badge to sleep on somebody's floor, it was an option until this year. Which means that, assuming, for some reason, tabletop gaming does not lose its energy in the course of one year, which I doubt it's going to do. No. These things do happen in cycles, but they don't happen in cycles that short. Then it changes the calculus of going to the convention next year, because it means that if you want to go, and I do... You know, I've got to start getting on that decision of I'm going to go. I need to ask for this time off work. I need to put in for the press pass. I need Absolutely. To, I need to get in line for a room or see if there's a press block rooms, which some years they have, some years they don't. And this is going to have to be much more planned because, like last year, I did do about a. 36 hour sort of crash of the con. But it was just it was very last minute. There was Was some, that last year or two years ago? I believe it was last year. I, it may have been two years ago, but I think I thought it was two years ago. I, I'm um, I think it was last yeah, year. Yeah, it was last year. Okay. Because there there was some hootie-doo that went down at the NA's. And so that caught my attention. I was like, okay, I gotta see what's going on. And by the time I got up there, it had blown over. It was really much ado about nothing. But I ended up just crashing for a few hours, spent the day there on whatever day it was, Saturday, I think. I think I went up there Friday, and then Saturday, and then late Saturday night left, just came home and crashed into Sunday and just made an overnight trip out of it. Didn't get more than a couple hours of sleep, but I also wasn't there the whole weekend. That's no longer a viable calculus. You well,
1: I wonder if it is or isn't, because this isn't natural growth. This was the 50th anniversary. How much of this was people that will be there next year? And how many people just came because this is number 50? Do you think people really... I mean, honest question. Yes, I think people do. You think people really do care? Yeah. because see, I can't imagine somebody
0: looking at this and saying, you know what, I have no interest in D&D, or I have a, a passing interest in D&D and little no interest in Gen Con. Well, I don't mean but like because that. because it's divisible by 10, I'm going to go this year.
1: I don't mean like that, but let's say okay let's say you have four people that go to gen con but they don't go every year okay if they're all going to pick a year to go 50 is a big number
2: i guess Um, i don't think the growth is that explosive though it wasn't that many more people than came last year and that wasn't it's been fast but it hasn't it wasn't just one pop that was this year it followed a trend that been pretty steady and pretty consistent and dan yeah to your prior point this is the bane of the people that try to put the bigger Gen Con groups together. Many, many people, when you ask them do you want to go on a vacation in nine months and you need to have the money ready and be in line for the hotel six months in advance, say maybe. And Gen Con punishes you severely for doing that, mostly with the housing lottery. But historically, you've been able to get away with it because you can buy a badge at the door, come for whatever you want, and leave whenever you want to. In the future, I think the reality that badges are selling out now for realsies is going to kind of force people to make that call ahead of time and either block out the vacation time budget the money and defend it or decide not to months and months in advance. As the guy who usually whips the votes together and gets the people together, I completely understand that a lot of people are not in a position to commit to a long, well, longer than simply one weekend vacation uh, and a financial commitment that's inevitably going to come out to a couple hundred bucks at least by the time that badges and rooms go on sale. But now that there's actually been a genuine sellout and the con appears to still be growing, I can sort of wave that scalp around and say, hey, look, maybe is no longer an answer. You've got to be in or else it's probably going to be too late by the time uh, you you decide you can go in July. You aren't going to make
0: it unless you opt to volunteer for somebody's booth or for the convention in general, in which case you're there, but you're probably also being worked quite a bit of the convention.
2: So the working people, some of them actually get a significant amount of money. Some of my friends in the industry have told me what they get paid on top of their badge in their room. And it's like, wow, okay, that's, that's actually worth doing. But many of them are not many of them go and their only compensation is a fourth of a hotel room and the $90 cost of their badge, and you listen to how much they have to work to get it, and it's like, geez, Louise, that's a minimum wage at best, plus the travel time. and I know going is fun, but it's a pretty raw deal if you're not getting paid on top of it.
4: Do you think that logistically, what you saw this year at Gen Con, that the convention could expand further in their current venue? I think it would be a challenge.
2: It wasn't elbow to elbow, wall to wall. They're doing a good job of sprawling out, of getting more food options, of getting more game table play options. With that said, there is a limit. Uh, we're, we're getting to the point where you're looking at a couple of agonizing choices. Moving to a truly large city, like a top five American city would have the room for everyone, but the price would skyrocket and accessibility would go down. Indy's cheap. It is not that expensive to put the Gen Con weekend on, even when it's Gen Con. And that, that's a really, really good thing. It means a lot of people can go, and it means the people that decide to go don't have to sacrifice as much as they would if it was in you know New York City or Chicago or somewhere. They would unquestionably have the hotel rooms, but also would be much, much more expensive. The other horn of the dilemma is, of course, Las Vegas, which can host an effectively infinite number of people but it's Vegas I mean the core of this hobby we have all been brought up through being 12 year olds playing second edition and magic cards bought by the pack none of our mothers back in those days would have said oh yeah sure go to Vegas for this gaming convention none of the parents of the people who are 20 years younger than us who really are the heirs of the hobby and and the people that we kind of not need to forget about even though they don't necessarily have a ton of money or a ton of control over their own lives because they're kids we would ice them Out if we move this thing to Vegas.
0: So well, and it's my understanding. Once again, stressing that I don't have any unique insight on Gen Con. It's my understanding that there are deals they have signed that will keep them in Indianapolis for at least the next couple of years.
2: That is correct. I think when they re-upped their contract a couple of years ago, it went all the way to like 2019 or 2020. I remember when the bathroom bill or whatever was going through indianapolis and and people were throwing a fit on social media the the rebuttal that was given by the gen con organizers was we can't we are contractually into indianapolis we've paid the earnest money or whatever you call it in this industry and however much we grow and whatever the local or state political entities do to annoy us we are in indianapolis at least until 2019 or 2020 or whatever it was and i believe that still is the case
0: Yeah. i and this is once again me just kind of spitballing here, but when I look at the incremental growth of Gen Con, which I'm going to guess that the way you guys have described it, and I'm going to put it in different terms, but I think you guys are right in describing this not as a sudden growth spurt, but rather an incremental growth that just hit a breaking point. And if I was to try and unpack that, and given the trends that I see in general surrounding role-playing, I have to wonder if some of the draw is the deproductization of the hobby. So okay, so if we look at the history of the hobby, I've said before it runs in about ten year cycles. So in the nineteen eighties you had the rules heavy, crunch heavy, D D second edition, battle tech, you know, riffs, things like that. In the nineteen nineties you had the surge of role playing and LARPing and such through the vampire stuff. In the early 2000s, you had the D20 license and all the OGL products. And then you had the big surge of indie products that came after that. And now it really seems like that through self-publication, through small games that are house-ruled, through these little pocket-mod type games... It seems like in many ways the hobby's becoming simpler. And with a deproductization of the hobby, or at least less, I'm not I shouldn't say no, but less of an emphasis on the product. That John, the way you described is has also been my experience. The Gen Con, it's about the people you meet and the games you play. It's not about the products you buy. And when I say people you meet, I don't mean celebrities. I don't mean your right. favorite author. I mean I mean you go there to see the people you haven't seen since the last Gen Con you went to. You know, your your friends from whatever corners of the earth. And I have to wonder if that's what's continuing to drive the growth of Gen Con is effectively it's just a de facto meeting ground for people that share in the hobby as long as there is a continued incremental growth simply in the interest of playing these kinds of games. If you would completely shut down the main hall of Gen Con, and I don't mean the game hall, I mean like the dealer room, you know, the The exhibit hall, the exhibit hall. I'm sure it would shift the needle, but it would not significantly radically rewrite the attendance numbers at Gen Con. Whereas if you did that at Comic Con, It'd be an empty convention.
2: Right, that would be it. And, I mean, there are people for whom the exhibitor floor is a huge, huge part of the draw. But there are people who really could take it or leave it. And I'm one of them. I mean, George, how how much time do we spend on the, on the con hall floor in the three full days we were at Gen Con this year? Maybe, maybe two maybe hours?
3: A couple, maybe a couple hours. Maybe. Yeah,
2: it wasn't that much. It,
3: we, we had what we came for. The con floor has good stuff, but the problem is... You can just get it. If I wanted Box Finder 2.0, I could just buy it. Like I can go on Amazon, I can get it, I can play it. I don't need to go to Gen Con to do that. But but some people do. Some people don't have like a ready game group to kick off a game like we
0: do. That Well, and also there is always the attraction of being the first one to have it, having it right at release if you're a huge fan. It's the same reason people would pay to go see a movie, you know, pre-release, to go, go see it earlier or whatever. There's also then the convention exclusives, which it varies from year to year how big that is. But I remember last year, one of the things that drew me up to Gen Con was a rush to try and get the convention exclusive faction pins that Catalyst was giving away, well, selling or whatever, for Battletech. And they're great pins. I managed to get all of them, and I'm incredibly pleased to own them. But it was a convention exclusive. And if you look at something like, let's take Starfinder, I'm sure for the people that are really big fans of Paizo and Pathfinder and whatever, that that was a special thing. But once they get through another print run... Yeah, I'm going to be able to get it off Amazon for the same price they got it at Gen Con, maybe even cheaper.
4: One of the great things that I like about Paizo as a company is as a former retailer and as a consumer, I didn't go to Gen Con, but Friday night, the Friday night of Gen Con, after my regular Pathfinder game, I stopped by my local game store and they had Starfinder on the shelf. So Paizo made a point of making it available in game stores the same weekend of Gen Con. So if you didn't go to Gen Con, you still had access to the product.
0: No, that's a departure.
4: Well, they've gone back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, they've they've flip-flopped on it. But for me as a fan, I love the vendor hall. I love going and finding those hidden gems in discovering products and companies that I've had no
1: exposure oh, to sure. prior. Oh, sure.
3: I agree. That's fun. You get some major hidden gems at Gen Con. Like yeah, that's how heaven. we found Junta.
1: So one thing I thought was cool when I walked the floor of Gen Con the year I went was that there were demos and things going for board games. There were demos for role-playing games. The only problem I had with it was it was just so crowded. If you wanted to do it, you have to deal with so many people just to sign up to be able to do a demo so like demos i think are huge i would be more likely to buy a game if i had a chance to demo it beforehand one that i knew nothing about going in so i think there's room for that but there really wasn't room because there were too many people I, and that was my big thing with the vendor hall There's just too many people the year i went
2: they've done a lot of better job using the sort of breakout rooms around the con hall, up and downstairs we hung out at there's a the firm that publishes code names it's check it might just be called like check gaming or something like that. And
3: Dubs, Dan is a master of just, like, I'm going to go do this game. He immediately sat down to, like, free demos of the game he wanted to play. Like, he was not obstructed.
2: No, he's, he gets stuff done. He's He's got that sort of elbow-throw-in political worker attitude where it's like, all right, I'm going to go do this. You can come with me, but... It's pretty much as good as done because I've decided to do it and it worked. But anyway, Wayne, they've relieved a lot of that congestion. It's still pretty bottled up if you're on the con hall floor. And depending on how well the, the floor people organize their space, it can be elbow to elbow in there. But there's a lot more room than they may have used the last time you went. I mean, it's been several years since you went, Wayne.
1: What was the last time you went? 2010, 2011? I think it was like. 2008 or nine
2: 2008 or nine yeah it's been a long time they have just a ton more total floor space between the the secondary rooms of the conhole and now both levels of the football stadium you probably will not be as discomfort as you were unless you catch a super super high volume booth and you're one of a million people that's trying to demo the brand new thing at this exact moment
3: you still got to be savvy like because you, you might not get the exact thing you want, but if you're open to just sit in front of something just to see what it is and play it, someone will show it to you. Yeah, you might be like Ryan and
2: wind up playing Quilt Show.
3: Oh, no, Ryan, last year, I really loved New Bedford. <laughs> Dude, I had fun playing New Bedford. What? Did you us buy that? You bought it, didn't you? I, no, that was one of those, I was going to buy, I, like, I was going to get it at the Confluence ship it home because i was doing carry-on for my flight i was just gonna ship it and then i was like it'll be fine i'll go home and order it and then i went home to try and order it and it was like three months out there was an expansion that was still being kick-started or something ridiculous so yeah I, we, uh,
2: we got the moby dick expansion there and i don't know if that was up for general retail sale when we got it, it. but anyway I, this, I assure you it wasn't this this goes to our previous point about how like just walking and talking and looking around and seeing what people are doing i had no idea that there was a board game that was based in two phases around SimCity Colonial New England is phase one, and phase two is sending boats out to hunt whales. Like, you could have held a gun to my head and said come up with a hundred ideas for a board game, that one would have not been on there. But we somehow saw it just poking around and we somebody bought it and we played a couple games of it. We loved it. Same with junta. Same with Sheriff of Nottingham. Junta was
3: hilarious because someone said, okay, everyone vote to pass the budget and John's tracks just stopped (laughs) mid step. And it was just like freeze (laughs) turn. And he's just like,
0: tell me more. Yeah, there there is certainly an exposure aspect to it even an incidental one. You know, one of the other things I want to throw out there as a tip to anyone that goes in the future is there is an economic side to Gen Con that goes like this. When the people come into Gen Con, they bring a certain amount of freight with them. All right, so this is their booth, their product, right? And this costs them a certain amount of money to have shipped to the location, and they have this stuff priced in such a way that they're going to make a profit on selling it. But when you reach the end of the convention, so I'm talking about the time the dealer hall is going to close on Saturday, pretty much any Sunday, what they're looking at is the effort, package all the stuff back up, what it's going to cost to rebox it, and what it's going to cost to ship it back home, and it suddenly becomes a whole lot cheaper to offload it below price than it does to send it back home. And so here's a little gem that if if you're good at the whole haggling game, which I'm personally not, but if you're good at that, if there's a game that's going to sell out that you just have to have now, get it on Thursday, Friday, whatever. But if it's the sort of thing that you don't think is going to sell out or doesn't appear to be selling out, and you want to see if you can get it and try it out a little bit cheaper, then consider waiting to get it until the latter end of the convention because you might find the companies are a little more willing to bargain because letting it go a few bucks off is going to still save them money over repackaging it and sending it home via ups or air freight or whatever they end up using
4: right well and as a retailer rent yourself a van and try to get product in bulk under cost because it can be done George,
2: tell the people the story of why you're the captain of the Queen's Navy.
3: I am currently lovingly fingering my handmade leather admiral's hat. Uh, what was corn. the price
2: quoted on Thursday, and what was the price quoted on Saturday?
3: I was quoted two sixty-five on, what was it, Thursday or Friday? Yeah, one of those days. And then the next day, I went, how much? I didn't even haggle that. I didn't haggle. I went, how, I just went, how much? And then they told me a price and I walked away. Then I went the next day, I went, How much? They then told me my hat was hundred and sixty five dollars, a hundred dollars less. Wow. And I was like, done. And they were they they were pleased. They were, they thought but they had already come down hundred bucks, so I was like, yo. So
0: There was some texting it, with George's wife to I think to make sure it <laughs> wasn't gonna go. So, uh,
2: yeah.
0: But she just turned your phone around and been like, Look, this is the budget my wife set. Can you know? Can we? Can we be in here or not? No,
4: that's the, that would not have been a bad idea. That's the. <laughs> that wouldn't have been bad. That's the equivalent <laughs> of like showing them when I was in South Africa years ago visiting my brother. I literally opened my wallet and says, "This is the money I have. This is what I was in my wallet, my pocket. I pulled out my money. I was like, this is all I have,' and they were like fine, we'll take it. (laughs) So then you go around the corner and you get your wallet out and you put more cash back in your pocket and then
0: start it all over again. But the
4: idea of showing the vendor, right? The text from my wife, this is all I'm allowed to spend.
0: Yeah. Can we make this work (laughs) or not? It was how we got the house that I'm living in right now was one of Carla's coworkers advised her that when you go get pre-approved, don't get pre-approved for as much as you can get pre approved for an amount that's less than they're asking for the house. So when you walk in, it becomes a take it or leave it offer of this is what I got pre approved. If you would if you won't take this, we have to go back and start the process all over again and we don't know what's going to happen in that time. And of course they're paying the mortgage and property tax, they being the the sellers on the property. Yeah. So they can't offload it. And sure enough, they took it. That's an excellent tactic. So all right, well, John and George, thank you guys very much for your insight on what the convention was like next year. I definitely tend to make a more significant effort to make it. Uh, my reasons this year i don 't think really in retrospect hold very good water and
2: yeah, I mean you 're not the only one man the The most common response that I get by far is ask me later and and my reply is. Uh, It will probably be too late to say yes if you make this decision any sooner than, like, the spring before the con season, and then ultimately most of those people don't wind up going. So break the cycle, Dan. Make
4: make the hard commit
2: next March or whatever it is. Ooh, we need to go as Fear the Boot. Well, yeah. Have an
4: official Fear the Boot booter thing. Well, we, used we, we to, have we used in to past call it years. We
2: used to, yeah. We had the yeah. fan network. We had like a group text going on before group texts were even a thing. Yeah. This was pre-smartphones. I mean, we're talking mid-2000s, 06, 07, 08. Yeah, we had, all kind of, we had stuff it's like quite possible.
0: going on. We need to start that up again. So anyway, thank you guys all for tuning in once again. If you want to check out the actual plays, the audio, or the video one, And I will probably get the regular episodes up there shortly hereafter uh, if it makes sense to do. So check that out on YouTube. Look for the link in the show notes. And beyond that, have a great weekend, great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com/network.